Well, good morning. If I didn't get to see you out in the lobby, uh, welcome. Good to, guys, good to have you guys here this morning. And um, just feel free to give Peter a hard, uh, hard time. You know, normally he's sitting in there, but today he's deciding to get married. So, I don't know. He should be here, I think, but whatever. So, <clears throat> anyways, um, Kim and I, uh, we're going to head down to Powell right after the service. So, <clears throat> after the service, just FYI, I love you all. I love to sit around and talk. But as soon as the service is over, I hand it off to Logan. <clears throat> I'm going to head on out and uh, head down to, to Powell. So, I don't normally scurry, but I'm going to. Um, anyways, and then I'm going to be in a suit so I'll take pictures if you guys are interested and see what that looks like. It's very, it's not really pretty. Um, so I'm just glad it's not outside like they were originally planning on doing it. So let me go ahead and pray real quick. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for today. <clears throat> I thank you for the opportunity uh, once again to get together as a church family and, and to uh, look into your word about what it is that you say uh, about life and uh, what you have for us. Um, and Lord, this series is um, kind of a difficult one. <clears throat> it's hard for um, people sometimes maybe to hear the, the truth that we're going to be talking about. And so I, I feel that and I, I'm aware of that. And so as I've been praying and continue to pray, I just ask that you would help each one of us as we sit here listening to your word, what you desire for us, that we would really understand um, your love for us and um, and how much you want us to be healthy and um, whole and not injured. Um, you're a good father that way. And uh, so, Lord, I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will give us understanding. I pray that you'd give me clear thoughts and clear words and um, that your message would come through. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so how many of you guys think this rule is good to have for your kids or grandkids when they're at the house? Don't run across the street without looking both ways. I mean, I think that's a good rule to have. Okay, about the same as the 9 o'clock. Some of you guys don't care about your kids or grandkids. <clears throat> Others of you do, so thank you for caring and loving about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we tell our kids, our grandkids, don't run across the street without looking both ways. I mean, you can go across the street, but look both ways. Why? Because there could be a car driving by that would run into them, and they could get injured, and just imagine, I don't know if anybody's ever hit somebody, uh, like a, not in another car, but I can't imagine what that would feel like for the person driving, that they would hit some kid. And so we, we put that rule into place because we love our kids or grandkids and we don't want to see them hurt in any way. But let me, let me throw some other things in there and see if you guys think, well, maybe this would change. <clears throat> what if the, your child or grandchild says, I don't like that rule or I don't understand that rule. Do you still keep the rule or do you say, okay, since you don't understand or you don't like it, go ahead and do it? No, we keep it in place, right? Some of you who are, don't love your kids, you don't care one way or another. Anyways. How about this one? Everybody on the block, all the other parents are just letting their kids run across the street without looking both ways. Certainly we should just go, okay, then young child, you do the same thing because everybody else is doing that. No, we still keep the rule in place. This one, though, I'm sure will cause you guys to, to change your thinking on it. Children were born to run, right? Is that, I mean, seriously, children were born to run. Children were born to go out and 
have fun. Don't we all wish we could go back at some point, you know, and just kind of have that fun to run around, to ride our bikes until it's dark, until mom yells, dinner! You know, we got to come running. <clears throat> so kids were born to do it, so we should just let them do that, run across the street without looking both ways. No? You got to still buy in that we should keep the rule in place. All right, sounds good. So it's the same thing when it comes to the rules God places in our life. No difference in it. You guys love your kids and grandkids. God loves us. We don't want to see our, see our kids or grandkids hurt or other people being hurt because of decisions that they've made. God is the same way. He doesn't want to see us hurt. So no matter what we think about something or whether we understand what God wants for us or not, not doing it God's way is going to cause us hurt and potentially hurt others. So we're doing this series called Redacted, Truth You Can't Say Anymore. And so we're looking at these truths or these rules that God puts into place that the world, social media, and you know the, the big media says that we can't say anymore because it, it hurts people when we tell them the truth. And so we're, we're looking at these things, and despite what the world says, and despite what we may even think, we should obey what God says because he loves us, he cares about us, he doesn't want to see us hurt or hurt others. So today's truth <clears throat> is, ready? Oh, you put it up already. That's not fair. I was ready for like, you know, tension to mount, but everyone's just like, what are you waiting for? Sex <clears throat> is only for marriage. Just want to give you a little, bre- just a heads up here. I'm going to say the word sex a lot today, just just so you know, okay? We're going to be talking about sex. And whether we don't understand or agree with what God says, or whether everyone else is doing it, or that we were born with that desire, not doing it God's way will injure us and others in our lives. Now again, that truth can't be said anymore. People are being banned on Twitter and on Facebook, and there's podcast uh, formats that are taking people off. <clears throat> I'm very careful what, with what I'm putting up as our title, and hopefully like on Facebook and these other podcasts, they're not actually listening to me, because after all, who am I? Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to get up underneath the, the radar there. So the society doesn't want us to know these truths. They want to continue going down the path that they're in. Now, just a little heads up before we get into this. <clears throat> Some of you may be thinking, uh, Pastor, um, we shouldn't be talking about sex in church. It's not a good thing to talk about sex in church. Here's my response. What better place should we be talking about it? It's God's design. It's what God gave us. It's who he's created us to be within parameters. Let me just give you a personal story. Do you know when I found out about sex? I'm 54 years old, just so you know. Last year. No. <clears throat> just kidding. Just kidding. It was, it was 29 years ago. No, just kidding. I was in eighth grade. So I don't know what age it is. But I was in eighth grade when I learned about the S word, just so give a break up there a little bit with the whole sex word. Eighth grade. And you know who I learned it from? 
The guys sitting around the lunch table. The guys who used to take the peanut butter fudge and go, you know, and take their pencils and stick it up in the ceiling. Those were the guys who were telling me about what that was all about. Now, of course, I played it cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm beat red. I'm sweating. You know, hopefully they're all realizing, you know, that I was just having a you know, bad reaction from the food. My parents never talked to me about this. Thank God for a youth pastor when I was in high school who gave us a biblical understanding of what sexuality was all about. And he talked about stuff that made me red in the face, but I needed to hear it. Because I was, what I was hearing was not what God wanted me to know. It was not correct information. The sad thing is they knew some of the information. And I was just like, I can't believe what's going on here. So better to hear about this here with God's word open, understanding what God says about it, than to have your friends telling you about it, your phone telling you about it, the people at school who have an agenda, or a government who has an agenda, whoever it might be. They're not going to pull punches. You know, I think a little bit with Christianity, us who are followers of Christ, we get the wrong picture that Jesus was some kind of guy in a robe floating around and didn't really touch the ground and had his hands up and it just didn't. Jesus was a, was a man. I mean, he was a carpenter. He was a man. He was, he was strong. He, he, was, he was not what a lot of people envision him to be. Paul was the same way. The, I think sometimes we get a little bit too... Let's just talk about, as my son was, let's talk about real life. All right? So we're going to talk about real life. This morning, <clears throat> the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir, I don't know if you've heard about this, they've now taken, it off, taken off their website, but they put a song out that says, we're coming for your children. So that just kind of gives us where we at in our society. So if you're, if you're thinking school is going to help your child grow and become who God wants them to become, it's not going to happen. So we better talk about it in church. And in these, in these services, <clears throat> all right, I beat that to a, to a pulp. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Nothing flashy, you know, just three things. Go back, just three things real quick. What does God say about sex? What does God say about sex outside of marriage? And then the benefits of biblical marriage, all right? Sound good? And when I say marriage, we're talking about man, a man and a woman. Biblical marriage, man and a woman for a lifetime. So what does God say about sex. Well, first of all, it's a God-created desire that was first put into place, as we understand from the Bible, for reproduction. So right at creation, right as God was creating everything, he, fi- he finishes up with creating mankind. And he says, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. We talked about this last week. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That means Reproduce yourselves. That's a nice way of saying have sex. Okay? And fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so there's an expectation that God said the human race needs to continue to grow and to go out upon the entire earth. And you're to manage the earth and take care of the earth. And in that, we understand that we have part of the image of God on us. Because we're the only ones who are told to do that. Dogs were not told to go out and manage, you know, dog world. 
We were told to go manage all that God had created. So in that, we were created, one of the reasons why we're created in the image of God. But we are to, we're to keep the human race going. And it's interesting, those in the, the gay and lesbian lifestyle, they have to, if they want to have children, which they do, they have to rely on God's design to make that happen. So it's interesting, you know, they'll use God's design when it benefits them. But ultimately, first and foremost, it was so we would reproduce. So we should be having kids and reproducing, causing others <clears throat> or creating others who are in, created in the image of God. The other, another reason why is for relational in, uh, intimacy. Genesis 2.24 <clears throat> says this, For this reason, the fact that the woman was formed from a man's rib, so she wasn't a separate creation. She came out of man, how God designed it. A man shall leave his father and his mother, <clears throat> be joined to his wife, and they should become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So now they're perfect at this point. And God says, even before Adam and, you know, Adam and Eve didn't have a mother and father, obviously, God created them. But setting the stage for what marriage is supposed to be, a guy marries a girl, they move out from underneath their parents' protection and provision, and they start their own family. And then they are joined to, and they become one flesh. Those two words in the Hebrew have a very strong sexual connotation to them. God wants this, um, a sense of intimacy, of oneness. And our sexual experience with each other as a husband and wife is part of that intimacy, that oneness. It says they weren't ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. This is just added information for you, not charging you for it. But the fact that they were perfect, when it came to their relationship, they weren't ashamed. They were naked, but they were, they weren't, they were not ashamed. Why? Because they weren't paying attention to themselves. They were perfectly focused on the other. And so there's no sense of themselves or even consider themselves because as a perfect couple... And so when you think about what a marriage should be, a husband needs to be fully focused on his wife, and the wife needs to be fully focused on her husband. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. And so this intimacy in a marriage, one of the great ways for intimacy to happen is through the vulnerability that comes in that sexual relationship that they have. And it's supposed to be there. It's said twice in one sentence that it needs to be there. And then a third reason why, and some of you guys are going to blush at this, but it's to have pleasure, to have enjoyment, to enjoy the experience with each other. Proverbs 5 says this, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Supposed to be satisfied with each other. Supposed to enjoy the exhilaration that comes from the relationship, the sexual relationship that God has given us. Again, God's design. He wants us to have pleasure within the rules and parameters that He sets up. So, uh, Solomon wrote that. King Solomon wrote that. He also wrote an entire book on it called The Song of Solomon. It's a, it's a story about, a love story about a man and a woman and how the man courted the woman and then became a married couple. And uh, just, just FYI, we were reading, the kid, when the kids were little, we were reading through the Bible and we thought we'd use the, the, the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, because we thought, you know, we're reading it, it'd be more of a story-like thing. We got to the Song of Solomon and, you know, I started reading it and 
And I started thinking, okay, our kids are like, you know, five years old, six years old. I'm reading and reading. And I'm like, you know, Kim, I think we may want to move beyond Song of Solomon right now. He starts talking about pomegranates, and I didn't want to get into holes. You know, why is he grabbing pomegranates, and what's he doing there? So anyways, we, we skipped Song of Solomon and moved on. But he takes an entire book to talk about the beauty of a relationship between a husband and a wife. Solomon, who knew that, but also knew what it was like to have sex outside of marriage. And so he writes a book saying, hey, listen, I've done it all. I'm telling you, you want to have satisfaction, intimacy? Husband, wife, sex, and marriage. It's again, from a guy who's done it all, he realized, I messed up. So not only is it a God-created desire, it's a God-commanded thing to do. So it's God-created commandment. Let's go to the next one. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. But he says, because of immoralities, because of the, the fact that we have this sexual desire in us, and if it's not fulfilled to God, God's way, we're going to be tempted to do it some other way. So because of that, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. So one man, one woman. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. He's speaking about sex there. Okay? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So in other words, each is commanded to meet the other's sexual needs. It's not, hey, fulfill mine. It's, oh, what do I need to do to fulfill my spouse's? And vice versa. Stop depriving one another of sex. Now again, I told the nine o'clock, I'm saying that word a lot, but and it's not just because I enjoy saying it in church, because when I was a kid, you did that, you got slapped. So, <laughs> I get to say it, I get to say it. Anyways, no, it's, it's the fact that when we start reading, or you guys hear me reading the Bible, we start kind of going glassy-eyed, and we start thinking about other stuff, and we, we're not really paying attention. So I'm trying to get you to keep focused in on that. The, stop depriving one another of sex, except by agreement for a time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer. And that has this idea of fasting. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, you... You don't eat for a period of time, and every time you would normally eat, you would spend that time in prayer over an issue that you want God's understanding on. So if you do that, make sure you both agree on it, and then come together again, speaking of sex, so that Satan will not tempt you to have sex outside of marriage because of your lack of self-control. And so we're, we're commanded by God as, as those who are in a biblical marriage. So Christians who are in biblical marriage, we are commanded by God to have sex with our spouse. It's our duty. It's what we, are, what we owe our spouse. It's an obligation we have. It's, he talks about authority. Kim has authority over my body. I have authority over her body. I'll get to it in a second. Except for in prayer. So if we want to take some time, you know, hey, we're going to take this week and we're going to just kind of focus in on prayer. We're not going to spend time intimately together. As long as we both agree on it, we're good to go. But then, once that's over, then we get back to our normal life and what we're doing. But, but here's a big point. This takes, this takes communication. All right? So, number one, married couples... 
You need to get past feeling awkward about talking about sex in your marriage. And I know that happens. I know people are, feel awkward about that. It's not something that usually comes up at our dinner table either. But we need to get past that. And we need to be able to share with each other what it is that we are comfortable with and what we're not comfortable with so that our spouse knows what they should or shouldn't do. Not everything that's out there sexually is made for the marriage bed, okay? And there are ways, you know, I know sometimes there's people who have, you know, maybe some physical issues going on and all kinds of, I'm not going to get the whole thing, but there are ways that you can get around those things. If you're sitting there going, huh, what's that? I, I know it may seem weird, but I have these conversations with people in my office. <laughs> I won't have a conversation necessarily in the lobby with you. But if, if you're like, man, Harold, I, I think I, and with any of this, I, I think I need some kind of help thinking through this. Set up a time, let's get together, let's, let's talk about it. But here's the deal. Medical stuff aside, if you are withholding sex from your spouse... That, according to what God says, is a sin. If you're using it as a manipulation tool, if you're using it as a way to get back at your spouse, if you're thinking, ah, it's just not really something I want to do, God says, no, you need to be involved with each other sexually. Because here's the deal. When a spouse is not having their sexual needs met by, their other, by the spouse, they're going to look for other ways. And I know typically we talk about pornography, we talk about God, about guys. But women are doing it more and more and more. That's increasing the percentage. If we're not the ones fulfilling the sexual needs of our spouse, they're going to go find it somewhere else. You're going to start fantasizing, you're going to be watching pornography. They'll skip out on the marriage. It's a serious business. And we'll talk a little bit more at the end why that is. So God's given us the gift of sex for reproduction, for intimacy, for enjoyment. And so this is why he says what we're going to read next about, about sex outside of marriage. And some of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulter, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Now, he's given us a list here. Included in that list is some sexual sins, but I want to talk about the general list first. So we have context here. We're not sitting here this morning picking on those who are struggling with sexuality in their lives. We need to understand that first of all, he says, don't be deceived. That word there in the Greek means don't walk away from the truth. Don't walk away from safety. Again, God's rules for our lives is all about keeping us safe, protecting us from what is out there, what could damage us and damage other people. He's a good God, a good father who cares about us, just like we want to take care of our kids. We don't want to do anything unnecessarily to hurt our kids. And so people are wandering away in all sorts of different ways. 
from what God has for us. He says those that are living these lifestyles are unrighteous. Now the key word there is lifestyles. As you break those words down, it's talking about having a life of or a consistent, you're kind of known by these things. And so he's saying they're unrighteous. Everybody who lives apart from Jesus Christ is unrighteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've all been there. Some of us here in this room may still be there. Some of us have placed our faith in Christ and we received his forgiveness, which we'll talk about in a bit. And he's saying, but those who have not experienced that, they're continuing in these lifestyles. The end result, should they not turn to Christ, is that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. They won't go to heaven. Because God must deal with our sin. If you remember, we, we just finished up two series. One was James, and then the most recent was five solas, the five alones. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. I won't go through all of them. But in, the, in three of those five solas and in James, the whole purpose, the whole message that God wanted us to know is doing good works doesn't save you. Obeying God's rules don't save you. Faith in Christ is what saves you, and then obeying God, doing life God's way, obeying his rules, shows that you are. And so uh, what he's saying here is those who even claim to be Christians, but if they're living this lifestyle, if they're known by the fact that they're doing these things, there is a great potential, I'll, I'll ease up what he's even saying, there's a great potential that you don't really know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Specifically, as we've, we're in this whole thing of sexuality, he lays out four um, general areas. So fornicators, that's the word pornos. We get our word pornography from that. So that's any sexual activity outside of marriage. Fantasizing, masturbation, pornography, um, having an affair, you know, whatever. It's, just, it's all that stuff that should be in marriage that a person might do to fulfill themselves sexually. Then you have adult, I didn't put idolaters up there. The reason why he put idolaters up there between these two is that when we worship something other than God, when we worship ourselves, we're committing spiritual adultery. That's why that's kind of put in there, but that's just a little free information. So adulterers, that's um, one who cheats on their spouse. But remember, Jesus said, if you think about doing that, you've committed adultery in your heart. Because again, sin is a heart issue. It's, we do sin, but it starts in our heart. That's why we can't fix it. God has to. Uh, effeminate. That's, a, that's men who want to dress like women um, or the, the man who is the woman in a gay relationship. And then homosexual, that's the, man, the men who are going to be the man in a gay relationship. So it covers all the sexual sins you know, that we have in our world today. Just sums up in four different ones. But Paul's talking to Christians, and so what he's saying to them is, hey, listen, that's who you were before you came to Christ, but now you've come to Christ, and this is who you are today. You've been washed. That means you've been forgiven of your sin. We've talked about that before, about salvation. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he washes us clean, takes the sin out, and then he resides there. And then we're sanctified, which means being set aside for God's purposes. We no longer live for ourselves and for what we want to do and what we think we should do. We say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore because I'm following Christ. I'm going to do life his way. Even though it might be difficult, even though we may not quite understand it, we still take that step of faith and we do it God's way because we're, we've given him our lives 
We're trusting him with our spiritual life. We're trusting him with heaven. So we can certainly trust him with our, the sexual side of our lives. And he says, you're justified. That's, that's that word where God has declared us not guilty. We place our faith in Christ. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And God says, you do that? You trust me with that? Then I'm going to declare you not guilty of your sin. So as Christians, we don't want to go back to that. We want to live in the freedom that God has given us and to keep our marriage holy just like he wanted it to be. So that those in the gay and lesbian lifestyle will, will say, well, it's not really fair because heterosexuals have a way through this. They can get married. You know, and so if they're, they're saying, hey, I shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, I'll just get married. And so uh, that's true. And I just want to talk about four truths that we're not hearing about this lifestyle. And I know that right now I'm going to step on a landmine. I know that going in. Because I know some of you guys are first-time attenders to our church. And, and I know all of us have heard what the world has said about this. And so I know I'm going to step on a landmine here. So I'm, I'm prepared. First one, those, go back, those in the gay and lesbian trans lifestyle are not born that way. The world tells us, social media tells us, government tells us, health people tell us that no, it's, it's a gene. It's, it's, they're born that way. You have to understand, there's no scientific proof that there's a gay gene. There's X and Y chromosomes. That's it. No scientific proof for it. And so... Yeah, I'll, we'll go to that quote. So Dr. Jeffrey Sentinover has this quote. So there's a study done, without any intervention whatsoever, three out of four boys who think they're gay at age 16 aren't by 25. So if we're going to treat homosexuality as a state, or as a, how we're born, 75% of gays become non-gay spontaneously. That's a statement which I consider ludicrous, but if you accept this tacit... So what is he... It's kind of confusing. The statement that he thinks is ludicrous is that being gay is an actual state, like being short or being tall, black or white. Then in three out of four people, that condition changes itself spontaneously. That's with no outside intervention, just natural processes of development. We're going through... Kids are going through... Um, you guys, did you guys ever take you know, psychological development in, when you're in college? You know, if you went to college? You know, anyways. You know, you have these classes. And so, a person's not born this way. But let's just say they are. Let, just for the sake of argument, because I, I would probably never have this conversation with, with somebody in my office even. I would just say, okay, let's just say they are. It still doesn't give them freedom to do something contrary to what God's word says. Because we all have desires, right? And so they have a sexual desire, just like we have a sexual desire, or heterosexuals have a sexual desire. They have a desire to be angry at times. We have a desire to be angry at times. We all have desires. It doesn't mean we just go live, out, live them out because we want to do life God's way because doing it life God's way is the best way. So Secondly, and I didn't have a really good way of phrasing it, so it's, it's a lifestyle choice due to developmental misunderstanding and external influencers. I didn't want to get in, I'm not going to get into the whole developmental process of a child. 
But a child from zero to five, a person is going to change the most in their entire lives. Kids zero to five are developing fast. And then they've got influences, parental influences, TV influences. I I heard one of the cartoons on PBS, the male um, teacher married a, a male person. And so, or cartoon. But, you know, so there's influences going on. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the cartoon, but uh, Arthur, thank you very much. Um, not that I watched that. Just, just some of you guys, Mandy's like, yeah, we used to watch it all the time. Anyways, um, I knew about it because of my kids. Point being, the, we're always developing, and a person doesn't quite get fully developed mentally until they're 23, 25 years old. And so as the people are developing... There's, there's things happening in them, and there, there's questions that are going on, and parents are influencing that, and the media is influencing that, school's influencing that. But just because um, a person who's developing may start thinking, maybe, maybe I'm a boy or a girl, it doesn't mean we just give that and say, yes, go with it. Because God has, we talked about this last week, God's created them, either male or female, and that means sex and gender according to what Scripture teaches. For some, it's natural to have crushes on the same sex and a different sex. It's just, it's just how it's there all these emotions and things are jumbling up inside a person. And then the last thing is, we can, we can change. A person can change. Through a faith in Christ, a relationship with God, understanding, having proper understanding of development, Emotional development, physical development. And then being with other Christians who can help them through that and encourage them through that. Just two things, if you're taking notes, um, you can go to probe.org for some of this information. And then Living Hope Ministries. You just search them on on Google. They have some good information. I want to finish up um, with a few quick points on just the benefit of biblical marriage compared to all these other sexual lifestyles. I, I have this one little extra point to say this. Some of the stats that I'm going to give you are older, in a sense, of 70s, 80s, and 90s. The reason for that is that there's not too, much, too many studies going on about biblical marriage. And there's not a whole lot of studies going on about gay and lesbian lifestyles um, that doesn't have a political spin on it. And so you can't really find them in some of the medical places and that kinds of stuff. Uh, so believe me, I was doing a bunch and looking for some. Uh, a lot of surveys are being done in like um, Denmark and in Sweden. Uh, so the, a lot of those stats we pull from there. Um, and they're a little bit more free than, than we are, though we're moving pretty quickly. Anyways, so let me just kind of run through some, some things here that I found. And um, you feel free to tell me I'm wrong. I'll correct myself. But marriage relationships, so the length of a relationship. Married relationships, biblical marriage, 66% of first marriages lasted 10 plus years. Uh, 50% lasted 20 plus years. In a gay relationship, and primarily these surveys are uh, gay relationships, which is a a male relationship, 15% of relationships lasted 12 years uh, or more, and few, they say, last even two years. So when you think about this length of relationship, stability, and that kind of stuff, it's not really what they're finding out to be true. Another one, faithfulness in relationships. Married relationships, 70% of men and 88% of women remain faithful to their vows. 
in the gay relationships, uh, 43% of white gay men had 500 plus partners, 28% had 1,000 plus partners. And so you can add up the percentages there to get that. And in a Dutch study of partnered gay men, the average eight sexual partners per year. Now again, I'm not, I'm not giving you these stats to beat up on anybody, all right? Just let me just stop and say that. I, I wanna, I'm trying to give some truth that we don't hear anymore about why biblical marriage is the way God wants it to be, okay? So I just want to, because again, we can, and I don't want anybody taking this stuff out and going bashing people on Facebook, all right? Right, okay? Twitter, Facebook, we're not going to be bashing people, all right? All right, next one. Suicides. So lifetime suicidal ideation, that's having the thought of committing suicide. So a female heterosexual um, and this was a Swedish um, survey, 90,000 people uh, over uh, like a four-year period of people giving information, 2006, 2008, and 2010. So 13.2% um, heterosexuals thought about uh, lesbian gay, 26.2% thought about uh, committing suicide, bisexual, 408 For the males, heterosexual, 9.5% thought about it, uh, gay, 21%, and bisexual, 23%. Those who did attempt suicide once or more. Uh, female heterosexual, 3.8%. Lesbian, gay, 5.6%. Bisexual, 19.2%. And males, heterosexual, 2.2%. Gay, 10%. And bisexual, 6.3%. So, um, again, kind of an interesting take on this. Um, heterosexuals seem to be far, um, you know, think about it far less and actually attempt it far less than those who are struggling in, in, in turmoil over their sexuality. Um, and then there's, um, what's the next one I got up there? Yeah, greater personal satisfaction. So this comes from a case for marriage um, by Linda Waite and Maggie Gallagher. Uh, and it's, it, they just give some things from their book. Uh, so those in biblical marriage are much happier and likely to be less unhappy than other group, any other group of people. They live up to eight years longer than divorced uh, or never married and 20 to 30 years longer than a homosexual couple. Um, and again, that's a newer stat um, that, I was, that I found um, from the National Institute of Health, I believe is what it was. Um, they suffer less from long-term illnesses than those who are unmarried, less likely to engage in unhealthy behavior such as drug and alcohol abuse and have twice the amount of sex as single people and greater level of intimacy which that to me was kind of a shock, <laughs> honestly. But um, yeah, they, so married people have more sex than single people. And it also has an impact on kids. Children are less likely, those who are in a biblical marriage, um, the kids who are in that family of a biblical marriage, uh, less likely to suffer serious child abuse. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, just it's less likely. Uh, less likely to be depressed as adolescents, to be expelled from school have develop, developmental or behavioral problems, use drugs, be sexually active, or experience childhood poverty. So again, we don't hear a lot about this anymore because everyone's focused in on alternative lifestyles. And so we're not hearing about how good and stable biblical marriage is. And that's not even talking about, these are not talking just about Christians. This, this is just those that are in biblical marriages, a man and a woman uh, for a lifetime. So, not saying that biblical marriages are perfect, not saying that the kids who are in, in biblical marriages 
uh, will turn out perfect, but from what we understand as we look at the surveys, there's far more stability and far more um, potential for the child to become stable and a stable um, adult and, and healthy uh, in some cases and live longer. So as the band comes up, what are the takeaways that we have? First of all, uh, for those here who may be struggling with sexuality or those who may be listening on the podcast, hear this loud and clear, that God loves you. All right? God's not saying follow these rules because I'm some ogre that wants to make you feel bad, that I want to step on you and take away your freedom. No, he, he loves you so much he died for you. God the Son became human, and he died on the cross. His rules are in place for your good, and you need to trust him with that. He's a good God, a good Father. And then get with Christians who will help you navigate this. Again, one of the things we want to be as a church is we want to be a resource. We want to be people who will get around other people and just help them walk through and navigate that and be a sounding board and a venting place and maybe even doing some research together. And then go back one. Christians need to commit to walk with those who God is bringing into your life. Not every person who lives in this lifestyle wants to change. Okay? And so we're not to go out and find people and start, you know, getting on them. No, but God's going to bring people into our lives who are struggling. We get to know them after a while and priests instead of sharing with us their struggle. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ministering to them. Secondly, married Christians, be obedient and enjoy God's gift of sex in your marriage. If you're withholding sex, stop withholding sex. Be a married couple as God has called you to be. And then show others why you should, they should have that kind of relationship. There's a reason why people are not looking at biblical marriage as something they want to be a part of. Because they've seen a lot of people doing biblical marriage, including those who are Christians, who are going, yeah, I don't want what they got. They do the same things that we do in our relationship. We should be different. Because God has made us different. We have God in us, living through us. And then talk with your kids about the physical and emotional development they have, about sexuality. you got to have that conversation. I did not do what my parents did. I, we, Kim and I had conversations with our kids early on, and we kind of age-appropriate, but we, we gave that to them. So they knew going into elementary school, going into junior high, into high school, into college, and once they're out, told my kids, you do whatever you want to do. This is what God's word says. And this is, I believe, it's... And then they saw mine and Kim's relationship and they evidently like what they see so far. You know, and they're trying to do relationships God's way. And then last, number three, unmarried Christians. Let me just challenge you. Trust God's plan for your relationship. If you say you're a follower of Christ, that means you're, you're trusting Him for your eternity. Something that you don't even really know if it's is it there? <laughs> but you're saying, no, no, he's saving my sins and I'm trusting him and I'm going to go to heaven one day. All right, well, if you can trust him for your eternity, then you can trust that his way of sexuality is the best way for you and whoever it is that you may be dating or whoever it is you're engaged to or whatever. Trust him with it. He's good. And he knows that if you don't do it his way, you're going to injure yourself and the person that you're with. 
And then get with married Christians who are doing it right. Find those in our church family who are doing it right and say, hey, can you guys just kind of mentor us? Can you just kind of be there for us? Can we meet with you and talk with you and just kind of see how marriage should be done? Find several different people because there's, you know, different people have different ways of making it work, but they make it work in God's way. So make that commitment. You've made a commitment to Christ for your eternity. Make a commitment to Christ for how you're going to do your relationships moving forward. Logan. Okay.